Today on Krina and Kirsten Get to Work, we are talking about something very important, Black women at work. Not that we don't always talk about, you know, important things, but this one, really important. It's really important. Welcome to Krina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Krina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we are here to talk to you about women and work, because frankly... What we want, Kirsten? What do we want, Kirsten? (laughs) Because we want ease, meaning, and joy for women at work and, frankly, all through their lives. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, what better way to get that than listening to this show every other week? (laughs) Because we deliver, ladies. And interestingly, we want women, all women, including black women, to have ease, meaning, and joy at work. And so we're going to be talking about that today Mm -hmm. on the heels of... Black History Month, right? Mm -hmm. This is the sort of um, end of Black History Month. And so here you go. Here we go. Giddy up. I also want to acknowledge, though, before we launch into the show and whatever else we're going to talk about today, that a lot of what we're going to be saying is referencing data and information for the U.S. And We've had a fair number of new countries come on board. Who are not in the U.S. Who are not in the U.S. I want to just name Malaysia and Taiwan. Hello. And we do not really have good data for for Malaysia and Taiwan. Maybe we need to reconsider. We might. But I I see that you're listening. I see that you're listening to a lot of shows, in fact. So welcome and thank you for doing that. Uh, I also wanted to acknowledge that we are recording from the land of the Coast Salish people. We are. Yeah. I bet you thought I was going to forget that. No, didn't I you? didn't. I knew you wouldn't. You knew I was just going to weave it I in like just a pro. Feel it. I could feel it coming. Do you know this is our 80th episode? That's that is wow. Yeah. That's why I'm weaving this stuff in like a pro now. I've actually done, we have done this 80 times, KB. It doesn't feel like that. Isn't that insane? It's so fun that it doesn't feel like that. I was talking to somebody about our show the other day and I was like, yeah, we've been doing it for, I don't know, what, two, three years? And there's, what? Are you kidding? It looks amazing. Yeah, of course I said yes. And we're amazing. I don't even know why you would doubt that. But yeah, episode number 80. Whoop, whoop. That's so, wow. Okay. Yeah. I just came out of nowhere with nice, that. You nice. Know what to I know say. you just laid it out there. We're just going to celebrate here with our tea. What is that octogenarian <laughs> or octogenarian episode? Yeah. O- okay. Isn't 80 octogenarian? I Sure. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm just going to follow your lead on that one. Here we go. Moving into this topic and, you know, in I just want to be full disclosure, you know, and I'm going to laugh a little bit, you know, because sometimes we don't know what we're talking about, but we really try and learn and figure it out and read the data and dig in. And I just want to start this episode about black women at work by saying, I do not know what I'm talking about. I have been trying to learn about this for 15 years now. Yeah. It is something that is very important to me. I attend something, read a book, talk to somebody all the time, and I am still struck by how little I know and how little I understand. But I am not going to let that get in the way of not talking about this, Yeah, of not bringing it up. So I'm going to ask for grace from our friends who are listening. I'm going to ask for feedback. I'm going to ask for whatever you have to offer about what did, what are we going to get wrong here? What are we going to get right? What are you taking away from this? Mm-hmm. But this issue of black women in the workplace is so critically important 
that we have to talk about it. We do have to talk about it. And I, can I, to state the obvious, which I think I've made a career of, um, we don't have personal experience. We are not black women. Yes, we don't have personal so experience. So in so many of these episodes, I would argue, you know, 78 out of the last 80 episodes that we've um, recorded, there's something in my lived experience I can talk about. Yes, Right. There's a story. There's something that I've felt, blah, 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 blah. And in this case, we are representing data and information that other people have produced. Mm -hmm. And we're representing information about how um, black women feel. And their experiences and their experiences and what they're going through in the workplace. And we we are drawing 100 percent on 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 input from others. Mm -hmm. And so. That's also a really unique and vulnerable place. Like I want, you know, I've, again, we read, I read a ton about this um, and and dug in into my memory. Like, is there anything I could share? And frankly, my experience isn't pertinent. Yeah. You know, but I mean, as a woman, but I can as women at work yeah. who are here in the workplace to support other women, this is a key part of that work in the world. A hundred percent. Right. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. But, and I don't have personal experiences being a black woman. Exactly. I have personal experiences being a white woman who wants to be an and ally. That does not let, yeah, not having personal experience does not let us off the hook. Correct. Yeah. And my, you know, my, my hope isn't, I just, every time I, even preparing for this show, I learned these new things where I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. And it really deepens my understanding. It gives me a different perspective. And so, I just find it's surprising to me. I shouldn't be surprised anymore. But every time I'm like, holy cow. And when we get to that part of the show, I'll point it out. The one that I was like, what? What's with that? Yeah, yeah. And there, I know. And I do I do want to also acknowledge you have done a tremendous amount of personal work to try to dig in and understand this. And so for our listeners who are just starting on their own journey to understand kind of the experiences of people who are not white um, and for folks who've been doing this for a very long time, we hope that today you'll find some gems in here. Certainly yeah, some, some, something to think about. Yeah. So we're going to dig in a little bit about the history of black women specifically at work. We found some tremendous articles about that. We also want to talk about the current reality. I think there's an, a tremendous, you know, an insane amount of data that we can reference that talks about what it's like to be a black woman at work. And then certainly um, follow all of this up with some great ideas about what we can do. Mm -hmm. Cause that's really what it's about, right? What can you do? What can we do with this information? You know, yeah. And how can we modify our behaviors and how can we change? How can we tr truly work to change um, this dynamic? How can we work to create equity? Yeah. One of the things that I found really interesting was the this whole history stuff that, that we dug into. Do you want to start by talking about that? So I want to start out by reading this wonderful line that was by uh, in an article by the Economic Policy Institute called Black Women's Labor Market History Reveals Deep-Seated Race and Gender Discrimination. It's by a woman um, named Nina Banks. And the reason I love this sentence is because it encapsulates, it encapsulates, I think, everything we're trying to talk about. And I'm going to read it. The black woman's experience in America provides arguably the most overwhelming evidence of the persistent and ongoing drag from gender and race discrimination on the economic fate of workers and families. Mm -hmm. So this is the pinnacle where... In all candor, the worst and most difficult stuff is happening 
with women who are working and who are likely caring for children. Mm -hmm. So I would argue have a higher burden to carry as well. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to start by saying, you know, this is the pinnacle. This is where this is where so much of this starts, right? Okay, so and I, before we move on from that, I mean, I think that's also setting the stage for a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Oh, yeah, that's kind of right? the, that, that yes. what we think is true about women is more so for black women specifically. Mm-hmm. What we think what we think is true about working moms is more so about black working moms. Yep. in every single place, it's more so true for black women for black women in whatever their situation is. Yeah, and it's not just it didn't just happen out of nowhere. No, it didn't just happen out of the blue. And in fact, a lot of what they're experiencing is the product of you know, again, history, I found that to, I found that to be a in, in, um, really inter- interesting statistic that in 1880, nearly 75% of single black men, women were in the work. workforce. Mm-hmm. That's, that is, in, that is a lot. Three of, times as many as white women. Three times as many as mm-hmm. white women. And in fact, the um, percentages of married black women versus married white women is about the same. Yeah. It's almost three, you know, mm-hmm. a little over three times as many mm-hmm. black women were in the workforce. And, you know, the um, and that percent that those participation rates have persisted um through today oh it's the same numbers today it's the same numbers today it's the same numbers they're it, the same numbers and the kinds of work that when that black women are doing ha- is very similar, similar to when you know to the 1880 statistic mm-hmm. and and those are predominantly service industry jobs service industry household agricultural yep. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and again that was f- from way back when if you can think back you know several hundred years ago and we've got 75% of single black women in the workforce and 35% of married black women in the workforce. And then we start kind of inching towards worker protections. We start Mm -hmm. inching towards as a society, as a society, as a society, we start, and this is the part of the dive into history that was shocking to me, which I didn't realize. One of the things that we hear about, see experience is this, stereotype of the black mother on welfare with a bunch of kids, Mm -hmm. right? So I, like many stereotypes, I realized in doing the research for this show that that one is also a lie. So actually our welfare policies initially excluded black women. Explicitly excluded black women. Right, because they were working and they did not need to have welfare because they had jobs. It wasn't until the 60s that this started to change. That is phenomenal to me. And then I just want us to think and look back for a moment on the generations of women and children that grew up in those situations. Black women and black children who grew up in those situations. So we have the majority, we have the majority of black women working in the workforce, either as single or married. Mm -hmm. And then um, starting way back when, and then we start making this march towards trying to implement policies that are designed to protect and support workers, workers and people with children or people who can't get to work today, you know, or whatever, can't get a job. Workplace safety, overtime laws. And And we pass these laws and explicitly exclude the very people who are doing the majority of the work. 
And the rationale that you just articulated a minute ago was that, well, they're working. They don't need these protections, which is also this kind of history of expecting black women to care for our children and care for our elderly and clean our homes, etc. And so moving in, and what I think it's interesting when you said this was something that surprised you, I'm going to guess that the surprise wasn't that you believed the stereotype that of the welfare mom. The surprise was that the policy itself. I actually, I, 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 I've come to believe that most stereotypes that I hear, no, frankly, I have yet to find a stereotype that I really think is quote unquote right. Okay. And so, yes, I do not think that's a correct stereotype, but then I try and figure out where it came from. Mm -hmm. And it's just shocking to me that somehow as a society, we have created a stereotype when they weren't even getting welfare in the first place. They weren't even, yeah, they were. Do you know what I mean? Like we totally manufacture this stuff. Yeah. Out of our bias. Oh, yeah. Implicit, um, intentional, whatever it is. But that was the part I was like, it was a surprise. I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, where does this even come from? Mm-hmm. Not so. And then, as you talked about, when we started to, to as a society, you know, take action to protect workers, whether it's worker safety or overtime, whatever it is, we typically excluded the jobs that black women had. So for, for and this is still true in many places. If you work in a household, you don't have an uh, you don't have an entitlement to overtime, right? Like if you're a maid or a cleaner, mm-hmm. or if you're mm-hmm. like a staff, mm-hmm. oh, yep. household staff, household staff. And of course, in agriculture, that's been notoriously no overtime. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that the professions where Black women work have not have been professions that have not been protected by these worker policies. Yeah, and that persists. persists yeah, it persists today. Yep. And then if you overlay that with the fact that, again, a lot of the jobs that black women are doing or predominantly held by black women are also um, low wage. They don't have sick leave. They don't have retirement benefits. They don't have the very safety net that would help with some of the kind of right. upward momentum in, right. in the economy. Right. So there's those public protections like worker protection laws, but you're talking about like private employer benefits and when those benefits are paid to employees, right? Yeah. And black women are typically not in jobs that the employer affords those kinds of benefits. I think the stat we read was 36% of black women do not have any sick leave. Yeah. with And their moms, like... As we know, like 70 some percent of them are in the workplace working with kids. Yeah. But then we have we have over a third of those that don't have any sick leave. Can you imagine trying to raise children with no sick leave? No. And working? Yeah. I can't even imagine what that would look like. And I can't imagine. The thing that was so fascinating to me was the stat that in 1860, there was no college educated black woman in the United States. 1860. Okay. So 140 years ago, 140 or is it 150, 60? Well, this is 2020. Yeah. 1860. Oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. 160 160 years ago. Now, as we say, 150 years later in 2019, 10% of black women have a college degree. It took us a hundred and 60 some years for black women to achieve 10% 
of of their population earning a college degree. Yeah. And we go, why? It's because we because it's racism, racism <laughs> and the glacial movement that we make as a society. Yeah. I'm not saying there's not been progress. OK, there's definitely been progress. There are black women CEOs in Fortune 500 companies. There are black not women. Not a lot. But, but they're there. there. <laughs> and maybe they're the exception, as we say. But, you know, there's there's Vice President Harris. There's all kinds of people. But we have just made such glacial progress historically. Yeah. 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 You know, and I keep coming back to this why, because I think that we're not, I I, I, I ask why, and I, I believe the answer is racism, in, it's just racism in every case. I do too. But we're not comfortable saying that. As white people, we just don't, we, we want to look for every reason in the world why, why this besides is happening racism. besides racism, when yeah. it truly just does come back to that. So, um, yeah, so that's why I keep saying why, why. Why? Because of racism. Let's talk a little bit about like the current reality, black women, the current reality for black women at work. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's this whole equal pay day that Mm -hmm. um, happens every year and it's kind of touted as the time when it takes the the amount of extra days in a year that it takes women to earn what a white man earns in 12 months. And, but if you break it down by race, it's actually striking. And equal pay day for a black woman so is on August 3rd. Yes. And that means that it she takes- She has to work the whole year and then from January to, to August, August of the next year. To make the same amount of money in a comparable job mm-hmm. as a white man holds. I mean, that to me is an interest, like, holy crap, because black women typically are paid about 63 cents for every dollar so that a white man It's like an extra paid. seven months of work. It adds up to like $100,000 over the course of a, of a career. This Oh, I think it adds up to a million. A million. A million dollars. Over the course of a year. That's like the third time I've screwed up a number today. Don't trust me with statistics. Everything I say, I want you to back you're me up on. You're usually stat lady. No, but I- You're I, such the stat lady. I'm so random about them, and you're, uh, but I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm you, backing you up. Would you please back yeah. me up? I can't yeah. even read a number. It's I a million do dollars. simple math a second ago. Jesus. <laughs> it's a million dollars over the course of a career. Of a career, yes. Mm-hmm. According to the National Women's Law Center. And so- and this wage gap persists regardless of industry, regardless of um, position held, regardless of education level. It is a real pay gap, period. So, again, all of these things that we saw in history have perpetuated uh, not only keeping women in um, lower wage jobs, but when they are qualified, when they are um, in a position where they could be they still earn less, they still earn less. You mentioned a little bit ago about how we make up reasons uh, to explain away racism. Yeah. OK, so there's a statistic about 40, about 60 percent of Americans believe that the pay gap between black people and other people is actually the result of bias and racism. But there are 40 percent of the people out there who believe it's a matter of choice. Yeah. Which I'm like, 40% believe it's choice. 40% believe it's choice or explained away. Mm -hmm. You can explain it Mm -hmm. away. What else is going on currently that you'd like to highlight? So I'll tell you, you mentioned mentioned this about black women being ambitious at work. And there is a, you know, we love Gallup, right? There's a great Gallup survey on black women at work that I'll put in the show notes. But I want to talk for a minute about what that report says about how black women feel in the workplace. Mm, Yeah. And I think that's where the ambitious 
the ambitious statistic came from. Yeah. You know, yes. Black Women Report being highly ambitious despite all of this data. Yeah. Which is inspiring. Which also speaks to resiliency. Remarkable. Um, they do feel, however, that I think about half of Black women feel that their race gets in the way of them getting a raise or a promotion or yep. getting ahead. Only 3% of white women feel that way. Yeah. So almost half of black women feel that being black gets in the way, um, uh, being black or a woman. And for white women, only 3% feel like that gets in the way. Yep. Um, only 13% of black women feel like they have access to good jobs. Yeah, no, duh. I mean, no, no I mean, and not trying to be rude, exactly. but like, of course, now listening yeah. to that history, of course you can see that. Yes. Poor, yeah. And I will say, you know, when I do, when I've listened to friends or scholars or speakers talk about these issues, access to good jobs, it feels to me like one of the core issues, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Having access to really good jobs. And and I think that also translates into economic security, right? Only one third of black women feel that they have a level of income, a comfortable level of income. Yeah, compared to like 60% of, of white, white men. dudes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and we know what economic uncertainty does for everything about us. Yeah. Right? Our stress, our hormones, our heart health, our everything, right? Yes. And so that Gallup poll to me um, really confirmed the things that I have heard in my experiences. And it also has these two really bright lights. Black women are very ambitious. Black women want to be role models. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, ah, oh, they are not defeated. They are not defeated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway. I was just, the, I was just pausing and listening and forgot that we were recording something. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, oh. I'm looking at your, I look it in your eyes going this. So yeah. Good. They're not defeated, but that does not mean that, I mean, come on, giddy up everybody. Yeah. Let's get this. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's interesting. So it's interesting though, about the 13% of women agree they have access to good jobs. So that I always wanted to mean the take the corollary of that. So does that mean that 77, 87, 90. Oh, no, 80. There we go. Go, Matt. Does that go, mean 87% of black of women, women do say not feel like they have access, access to, good, to jobs. good jobs? Yes. And again, the information would support that. They only make up, they make up under 2% of vice president roles, uh -huh. um, even though they're almost, they're 7.5% of the population. They make up 1.4% 1 of C-suite positions, again, even though they are nearly 8% of our population. Our and working population. Our, yes, and um, yeah, our working population. And and so, and so the feelings that are articulated in the Gallup report are very, I mean, you see where those come from in the data. Yeah, and there are, there are issues, there are reasons why. Um, that you can kind of point to, well, they're not getting women, aren't, black women aren't getting promoted. They call this the, there are multiple broken rungs in the ladder. They're not getting, they're not getting hired in the first place into some of these roles. They're being overlooked for promotions. And they're also being asked to perform in workplace cultures that are designed to benefit white people. Yes. And in fact, we know that a lot of the sort of standards that we set at, in the workplace are white 
Yes, it's white culture. It's white culture. It's white culture. In fact, we don't even realize it's white culture because it's so pervasive. It's like you're in the soup. You're breathing the air. You don't realize it is all about being white. Yeah. And that was an interesting thing about the pandemic, that for black women, there have been parts of the pandemic that have been very hard. We've talked about the job losses. We've talked about childcare. We've talked about burnout. But well, we haven't talked about any of in that. other no in other shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. In other shows, we've talked about those things for Black women that are impacting Black women more so, more than, negative. Yeah, yeah, more severely. But there have been some good things about the pandemic for Black women. Yeah, oddly, I was reading an article. I think this is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. About uh, actually read several articles that were interviewing Black women who were saying. The work at home environment, the work at home environment for me has been incredibly beneficial because, um, again, I'm speaking um, from what I read, they were able to turn their cameras off and in many, and in some cases, not be sort of seen or identified as a black woman. And so they were being taken more seriously. They're, they were able to express themselves more freely, et cetera, which I thought like, oh my gosh, what a learning for all of us uh, white folks. And then, but also um, the I, whole sort of being yourself. And, and like in, this, in the workplace, and, like all of a sudden they don't have to show up at a workplace around the, you know, water cooler or the coffee pot or whatever and fit into white culture. Yeah. They just get to be themselves. They're not always on show, yes. always performing because they're in their own homes. Yeah. And again, that was kind of some learning for me. Like, Wow. Of course. And I know a while ago we, we um, I talked about a story of a woman um, who happened to be disabled and she was expressing a very similar experience with COVID. Once she was behind a camera, folks could no longer see her wheelchair. She had a completely different experience at work. And I can see how black women were having, you know, this was akin to their mm-hmm. experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm no longer, I no longer have to sh- show up, like you said, and kind of put on this persona mm-hmm. and be quote unquote acceptable in this mm-hmm. white workplace culture. You know, I also get a chance to experiment with what it's like to not even have somebody not even know my color. Yeah. I, I don't even know where I mean, I just, I'm like dumbfounded that we, that we are here, but it's, and I'm hopeful, but I'm it's hopeful also, for change. It's also really good in some ways that we discovered this, right? Mm-hmm. There's this discovery. Wow. What, what, this, what must it be like for folks to be able to be who they are in their workplace? Yeah. What a wonderful and amazing thing that is. And I, and I don't use the word, it's a gift. It's not a gift. It's something people should have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's okay. We should expect. So, how do we get there? Let's talk about yeah, what to do about it. There's some there's some organizational things that folks have been talking about for the last couple of years that I see over and over again. We're going to talk about those, but I also just want to talk about my own experience in what we can do. That just comes from my own very limited, very small, earnest. Earnest and sincere, but really small perspective. Okay, let's talk about organizational. I'm going to make this super quick because I think it's all, I think that our listener, our friends out there, they're thinking about themselves and what they personally can do. But recognize that wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you have a, a way to exercise your voice, pushing for things that address bias in hiring, you know, like requiring a diverse slate of candidates before you'll move forward, Re- removing things, that, making um, 
resumes anonymous, right? Taking off names and things that would identify people, right? Assigning points so that people earn points for different things. So it's very numerical as opposed to, you know, just your judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I also read um, something that, you know, was really encouraging people who are in um, leadership positions or management positions to not just think about diversity from the perspective of race or ethnicity, but overlay, recognize that, you know, women, black women or Hispanic women, like really think about it in terms of race and gender combined. Yep. Because be, because the experience, as we said, com- Kim Crenshaw, compounds. Kim Crenshaw, intersectionality. We yeah. probably should have talked about that in the very beginning. Yeah. But yeah, no, every, every, everything that doesn't fit into white culture, abled white culture adds another layer on folks. Yeah. Right. Whether it's because you're a woman, because you're of color, because you have a disability, you know, all of those things. Because you're LGBTQ. Yes. They, in, they, they intersect. Yeah. Yep. And so recognizing that any um, gains or anything, any programs, anything you're trying, any of the things you're trying to implement, recognizing that they need to be implemented at all of these intersections if we truly want to make change. But, you know, moving to the though, then what we I don't want to minimize that by moving but, but beyond organiz- it. But organizationally, I do think, Rena, that whole that whole process in hiring not asking people what their prior salaries were so that you just don't give them a bump on their last salary, but you actually give them the salary they're entitled to mm-hmm. in your... That you would give a white man? Mm-hmm, that you give a white man. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but dealing with childcare is going to raise everybody, including black women. We just don't seem to want to deal with that childcare issue. Yes. But yeah, those are the kinds of things that organizations can do. And then there's this other piece. And I just, I'm... I'm talking quietly when I say it because I don't even know how anybody does it which is once you once you get a woman of color in your workforce a black woman in your workforce how is it that you create a warm welcoming inclusive place where she can thrive where she's not tokenized Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that's a whole other like makes my brain blow up yeah and I would say prioritizing changing your hiring practices and your promotion practices so that you don't just have one black woman in your workplace too that's a big step oh my yeah recognizing Mm -hmm. that right you know you you, we don't want to have one token black woman at the workplace who feels like she's an other and is constantly doing the labor of all black people and those are really systemic workplace issues that we're talking about. But, you know, for me in my, there's places that I can do this at work and I try to for sure, but I have a lot of opportunity to do this as an individual. When can you tell, talk about a few of those then? Okay. So I have found that I think my biggest responsibility is to learn, right? It is to learn, always be learning, always be reading, always be looking for the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What are people of color reading? What should I be reading? So is there a great, I mean, I'm so fortunate that I have so many friends who send me, oh, there's this speaker, there's that speaker, there's that TED Talk, there's this class going on. So I feel like almost every day and certainly every week I have an opportunity. So that's been my biggest takeaway. Here's my second. Well, this is so close. I don't even know. If, I think is I'm going to make it tie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make this tied one tie. For first. Tied for first is to believe. Hmm. What do you believe it in? To believe 
what women of color tell me. Oh, yes. When they tell me their experience, when I read their experience, when I hear their experience, it is my job to check all of this stuff happening in my body Mm -hmm. that I don't want this to happen, that I don't want to believe it would happen, that I don't believe people are mean-spirited, that that, all the things. Mm -hmm. I have just decided, take a deep breath, Kirsten, and believe what they tell you. Mm -hmm. It's like a hard, fast rule. I can see why that tied for first. Yeah. Learn and believe. Learn and believe. Believe. And I think a key to that is also listen. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because as soon as it's it's like, as soon as you stop believing and stop listening, as soon as you stop believing and stop listening, it's like you then put your whiteness right in front. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what we're trying, that's what we're trying. We're trying to, to put do her in the back seat. Is get your whiteness just, out of the way. Just get your whiteness in the back seat for a minute. I used to have a coworker a long time ago and they would scream from their office when I was, you know, boisterously blowing it at every turn, you know, back before I had learned to even, you know, stop, take, put my whiteness in my privilege. She would, uh, they would scream, check your privilege, check your privilege. Oh my. Yeah. Good on her. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was an interesting. Uh, anyway, so I think that's what we're saying. You know, first of all, we got to check our privilege, check our assumptions, learn and listen and believe, and don't tell you. You know, don't believe the stories in your own mind about why all of this stuff is justifiable or happening. Um, believe what is currently happening and believe the information that's coming at you. And it's shocking when you look for opportunities to make space and step aside, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, if there's somebody who, if there's, if you and a black woman want to speak. Let the black, you know, don't go first. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't even say let the black woman go first, but don't you go first, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, there's a lot of opportunities in our daily lives to not step in the way in front of people. You know what's interesting about what you just said there, though? When you when you caught yourself, yeah. you, you caught the difference between... Making space and... Let, yeah, let, let them yeah. go first, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which implies, and I'm pointing this out for a friend out there, or for our friends out there, that implies that you are some somehow in charge to go in, first or in charge of who mm-hmm. gets to go first mm-hmm. you know so the shift even in thinking be be and and the catch of like i'm not gonna let them go first i'm going to make not space. gonna step in their way yeah i'm, I'm gonna, gonna stay step out back. of the way i'm gonna step back i'm gonna that's stay been, out of the way that's been a big one for me you know just like figuring out how to step back and not take up so much space yeah not be the whatever you know like the the person who's letting uh-huh. but rather just an, an equal or a taking a back seat i do not have to go to the table first for dinner no Mm-mm. no no um, we've had generations of people going to the table first for dinner mm-hmm. right yeah yeah or for the job or for well, yeah that's the, the metaphorical yeah the, yeah that's the, the metaphorical you know of all of that yeah so if you yeah. are if you so by stepping back and making space you are opening up, you're opening up space for a black woman to step in. I think the other thing though is, and I speak from experience, I have, as a white woman who's been, you know, in this profession, in this community for a very long time, I have a lot of access. And I know I've tossed that word out a couple of times when we were prepping for this show, but I get called and you do too. Like I get called and people want to have me speak or have me do this work or help them with this project. And every time I do it, it provides me an opportunity to, to 
build more social capital, get better at my job, hear about that new opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. If I, and some of it I don't even need, some of it, and I mean, you know, like I don't necessarily need it. I just, I say yes. But if I, if I say, huh, let me give you the phone number of someone who I think would be better for that. Yes. That's access. That is access. Absolutely. So not only stepping back, but also using your position. And then here's the thing that we keep forgetting. When we bring all of these voices into the work, we get better work. Yeah. Right? Like, I just look at the impact that Black women have made in our society in the last, criminy five years. Mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, you know. Mm -hmm. um, And I think to myself, if we could get all of the women, all of the Black women, you know, fully participating in the workforce, we would be so much richer for it. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, this is really good for black women. It's really good for all of us because I don't think people realize how often discrimination hurts us. Yeah. Hurts white people. Yes. Right. When we marginalize people and prevent their full participation in the workforce, we don't get all of their skills and talents. And I guess when I look out at what's happened across our society and the kind of work that black women are doing in our in just in the United States, I think to myself, wow, we've really benefited from this. This has really been great. We're, we're changed. We're this, we're that. And I think about um, black female astronauts and black female physicians and how the impact that they've made in our world. And I think to myself, why, I mean, if we could just lift, if we could just stop keeping black women down, mm-hmm. we would just be so much richer for it. Yeah. I, Does I, that make sense? It totally makes sense. And in fact, somebody said to me recently, when the person in the room who is the most marginalized feels comfortable, oh. then we're all comfortable. Oh, that is so good. And that's what I think you're trying to say. Yes. Not only not only do we benefit, you know, like when the and we know we just said it, the statistics support it. Black women of all workers mm-hmm. are the most marginalized, mm-hmm. the least comfortable, mm-hmm. the lowest paid, mm-hmm. the most discriminated mm-hmm. against. Mm-hmm. And so when they feel empowered when they have a living wage when they are offered they the jobs full access do they have full access to their full potential to their full potential uh-huh. when they are in, able to bring their f- whole selves to work when they do not have to code shift and carry the additional emotional burden etc then we all have we have created a, a we have created the conditions where all of us where everybody can thrive and can thrive. Ha- yeah Exactly. And that to me, I think, is the root of kind of what you were just trying to say. Yeah. I'm, what I'm trying to say is it's like, yes, there is a great gift in solving this problem for us, mm-hmm. right? For rectifying a wrong that mm-hmm. has been done to black women, but also in it a gift for us. Yeah. Right. And that may seem like a, it just feels like it's one of these things. I look at this problem. I'm like, we just need to do more. Mm hmm. We just need to do more. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think we, I think we want to do it for the sake of black women, period. I mean, I don't think that's, we're we're not suggesting that 
if you know, we're not just trying to convince somebody to, to engage in this because it's good for because them. Because it's good for them. But, but it the is crazy part about it is <laughs> it is good for you. It is good. And it's so, good for you us. know, with that, I feel like really, you know, finding the opportunities to do is just like you said, Kirsten, to learn, to listen, to believe, mm-hmm. to step back, to mm-hmm. be quiet, to introduce, to provide access, etc. Those are meaningful things Mm -hmm. that we can do today right now Mm -hmm. right now and recognize and find find opportunities to practice it you're going to screw it up i guarantee it because i speak from experience but find opportunities to speak up to learn to practice this um in your own daily life it's Mm -hmm. you know and it's you know i really do like black history month because it is a time it's like a ritual right Mm -hmm. like Sometimes these things bring us into the deep thinking, the deep learning, the deep consideration. And I, so I am a great believer in things like Black History Month. That doesn't mean that we're not doing it all year Mm -hmm. at all, Mm -hmm. but it does mean that this is a time to really take more time than you usually would Mm -hmm. and really think about what it is you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Okay. All right. Big thoughts. Yeah. Big thoughts. Big thoughts. Thanks, friends. Thanks, friends. We'll see you in two weeks. Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 